This is Dropout Nation. I'm Rashawn Biddle. Today on The Conversation, Daniel Lowson of UCLA's Civil Rights Project discusses the battle and debate over school discipline reform. And welcome to The Conversation. This is Rashawn Biddle here, and I'm with Daniel Lowson from the, from the Civil Rights Project at UCLA. How's it going, Dan? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, of course, one of the, the big issue that is going on that's near and dear to Dropout Nation's heart is this issue of school discipline and school discipline reform. And last week you testified before the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights about this issue. And particularly, I mean, what had, why has this become such an issue at this point in the last, you know, you know, in the last few months. So um, one thing that happened was that in uh, January of 2014, uh, the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights and the Department of Justice issued guidance for every school and district in the nation, um, basically prompting them to review their data on school discipline and look at the racial differences. And if they found that there were large racial differences and they couldn't justify why so many students were being suspended, um, you know, that they had policies such as suspending kids for truancy. That was one of the examples in the guidance. They should um, consider um, changing that policy or practice uh, to reduce or eliminate the racial disparity. And this is being challenged uh, right now by a number of sort of uh, bloggers and policy wonks who were calling on the administration to eliminate the guidance um, because they claim it, well, there's different claims. None of them are really accurate. Um, so that's disconcerting. And there's also regulations that are passed in 2016 um, that help clarify the responsibility of states to review uh, in special education, um, racial disparities, again, in discipline, in identification, and in restrictiveness of setting. And so there's also been uh, a threat that came, I think, internally from the administration. They, they sort of leaked a uh, that they're in the process of considering uh, eliminating those regulations, yet um, the regulations were just passed in January of 2016. So that was that was, uh, I think, what prompted the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights to, to hold the hearing. And that's a, it's an interesting issue because one of the things that is, gets brought up all the time from opponents of, of school discipline, folks such as Max Eden of the Manhattan Institute, Michael Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute about the Obama administration guidance, you know, one of their arguments is that what it does is that it's it's creating a quota system on discipline and that, you know, basically this means that, you know, you're basically going too far in, in telling districts how to operate and how to deal with children that are in their care. I mean, what is your count? What is your response to that sort of argument? It's, it's absurd because the, the guidance that was issued is, first of all, it's not new law. It's just a, reminding um, states and districts and schools of their obligation to address this uh, problem. And what the guidance says is that if you have um, a policy or practice 
that has a, a harmful impact and it's more harming, you know, it could be kids with disabilities versus non, it could be by, by race. Um, the, the guidance is focused mostly on, on racial disparities. Um, so if, say black kids are being suspended far more often, you reflect on your policies and you, you have an obligation to think about um, the, what is a less discriminatory alternative. However, if you have a, if you can justify that policy or practice, and there isn't something better or different that you could be doing, um, there, then you're not obligated to to make a change to that policy or practice. So there's absolutely nothing in the the law about quotas and all the um, remedies. And I've been, you know, doing research on remedies for quite a long time. None of them involve quotas. They involve, uh, you know, more effective ways to address misbehavior, things like restorative justice, uh, teaching kids directly about their their uh, social emotional health, um, so that they helping them develop schools to de-escalate situations is that's just one example. Uh, a multi-tiered system of uh, of interventions such as positive behavioral interventions and supports. Those are just some of the examples um, of the kinds of things that can be very effective. And uh, our book, um, and another one is, you know, t- training teachers in, in uh, improving their, their, um, their, their student engagement has been proven effective. And, and our book, um, Closing the School Discipline Gap, is a compilation of research from, author, from other researchers from across the country. And um, not a single one of the remedies that are explored as which are effective involve a quota. And that's that's interesting, which gets to the you know other key issue, and this is really to the overall issue of school discipline reform. The pushback from folks like Eden, pushback from folks like Petrilli, even pushbacks from traditional districts is that, well, you know, we need to keep schools safe, and we need to make sure that the sc- that the children are learning, and that those kids who aren't being suspended, the ones who are considered, quote, the good kids, they're able to learn. And, I mean, what is the correlate? Is there any correlation at all between high levels of suspensions and school safety? Uh, No. In fact, uh, oftentimes uh, studies have found it's just the opposite, that the schools that suspend a high number of kids um, are less safe and have, you know, oftentimes uh, not invested in in their relationships and and trust in a way that, um, uh, for example, there was a study um, by Matthew Steinberg where he looked at all the schools in Chicago and he found the schools that were in the highest crime neighborhoods um, serving, you know, serving kids from the highest crime neighborhoods that had really invested in uh, uh, improving the relationships and, and improving the sense of trust between teachers and their students and teachers and parents. Uh, they had um, the highest sense of safety in terms of the, the perceptions of safety of both the students and the teachers and the parents. Um, but also they had the lower suspension rates. So it's actually just the opposite. Um, and that it makes sense when you think about when you were kicking students out of school, you're eroding trust, you're adding to their disengagement, and um, you're also making things less safe because kids, uh, you know, get in all sorts of trouble. I mean, the 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 the, the best antidote 
to gang involvement is student engagement in school. Interesting, and that's which gets to the other side of it. Of course, you know the art to the issue of well, what about the other kids who are learning uh, who are not getting suspended? What about them? I mean, how much of the? I mean, when we talk about overuse of school of suspensions and expulsions, I mean, what is the damage that ends up being done to those to those children? Yeah, so it's really a, a kind of interesting assumption that is being sort of. Uh, promulgated by folks like Max Eden and Michael Petrelli, where they are claiming that when you have discipline reform, let's say, for example, in California, where they eliminated suspensions in grades K through three for minor offenses like disruption, they the assumption that they're making is that then everybody is just stuck with these disruptive kids. In other words, they're, they're assuming that nothing is done other than changing the wording in the code of conduct. When that, you know, any effective kind of discipline reform isn't about doing nothing except for changing a few words in the code of conduct. It's about providing supports for for the kids, for teachers, uh, for principals, um, making sure there's adequate special education uh, in, in training in these alternatives that are about problem solving. So, you know, when you kick a student out of school, there's actually no adult guarantee of any adult intervention. Sometimes parents might get more involved, but oftentimes they're not. And so, but when you invest in other kinds of problem solving, where you're not kicking the student out of school, you're still, it doesn't mean you're ignoring the problem and allowing just the disruption to go on, um, you know, without any kind of intervention. And so that's, I think, this this faulty assumption, and there's a lot of fear-mongering. As I, we've, you know, recently, uh, folks like Max Eden and Michael Petrelli are suggesting that chaos results, and they've, they've sort of given, they've given, um, false um, testimony on this topic. For example, uh, they are claiming that the guidance is prompting schools to change their policies and practices, and as a result, schools are more dangerous. And in New York City, Max Eden had a report which he uh, claims is an evidence of chaos resulting. But in his own report, when he looks at individual schools, and he looks at the schools that actually reduced uh, their suspension rates. And he looks at the school climate surveys for those schools. They don't look any different than the schools that didn't lower suspensions or improve, increase their suspensions. So the school climate looks the same regardless of whether the suspensions level was stayed the same or went down. Um, in other words, there was no correlation. He didn't find a correlation, and he knew that, yet he's still, um, you know, promoting this idea um, that he doesn't actually have any support for. In fact, the, in the three, there was a whole three-year period um, under Mayor Bloomberg where suspension rates went down dramatically, and in his own report, he said the climate was not affected negatively by that reduction. Um, and that involved, you know, uh, policies like res- improving restorative justice and and uh, giving students second and third chances 
rather than suspending them the first time for minor offenses. And which gets to this a big issue here, and this is you know this has been one of the you know one of my big arguments um, on this front, which is that it seems to be that those who oppose any form of school discipline reform, they seem to be unwilling to actually engage research. There's this three decades of research from Raskiba, from yourself, from 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 a whole bunch of folks, uh, volumes of this stuff, and it shows two key, you know, two key issues. One, that school, dis- that more black kids and minority kids are the ones that tend to be suspended the most that it tends to be very harsh on kids in special ed and that even when you're looking at same offenses black black children are suspended more often for the same offenses as white students and that most of these offenses are not involving drugs they're not involving actual safety they involve a kid not a- acting out a kid struggling with other issues i mean how much the question i have to end up asking is why are so many people unwilling to actually engage the actual data and evidence yeah there's a the the same um policy wonks if you will are you know they'll they'll engage the research by saying well we don't know enough and um, but then they don't unpack what it is that they are questioning, and they'll sort of, uh, with a very broad brush, will claim, well, it's not causal evidence, and they'll accuse, um, you know, researchers like myself of confusing, you know, uh, correlation with causation. The truth is that um, we we actually have a randomized controlled study in our book around. Uh, student engagement, and they often leave that out of the equation entirely, uh, where, you know, um, a whole district it was involved in a study of, of a teacher training program, and it was incredibly effective. It re- eliminated racial disparities and dramatically reduced um, the use of office disciplinary referrals. And all the teachers that didn't get the training, they just went on the same way, and they didn't have any of these benefits um, and there are just numerous studies that show that there are things that are effective or and the flip side that, you know, when you when you sort of adopt that mentality of kicking out the bad kids uh, so the good kids can learn, the principles that have that mentality are the ones that are contributing to the racial disparities the most, but also the schools um, that sort of adopt that mentality or take that approach have lower achievement rates, not higher. They have lower test scores. So they 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 kind of brush aside any research that isn't a, a randomized controlled study. Yet they have none whatsoever uh, to support this this concept that um, uh, really harsh discipline actually instills the kind of order that leads to higher achievement and better graduation rates and you know, that, that, that this kind of approach actually works. It doesn't. We know that it increases uh, the dropout rate. We know that it increases um, the risk for juvenile justice and gang involvement and, and all the rest of those things. And our studies have actually shown there's an incredible 
economic costs. Um, and to the extent that we have we've controlled for many of the other reasons that students have uh, dropped out of school. For example, Russ Rummerger and I published a paper on this topic, and he's the lead researcher. He's one of the, the leading scholars in the nation on why students drop out of school. And we found that it, it you know, being getting suspended can predict uh, a, a lowering of your graduation rate by six to seven points. Well, there are real economic consequences. So even, you know, they'll just, uh, they'll just ignore studies like that um, as, as somehow not, not um, strong enough. Uh, yet they have nothing to, to replace them. There's no reason they have no uh, robust uh, studies of their own to point to to suggest that we should return to the harsh discipline policy that they prefer. And which really gets to a bigger question, because when I look at, you know, Dropout Nation is one of the few places within the education reform space that actually looks at school discipline and discusses it in a serious way. Uh, You know, we don't, within the school reform movement itself, and, you know, there is an un, seems to be an unwillingness to actually engage this issue. On one hand, you have a few folks like Petrilli at all who are opposed at all, and then you have a wider group of folks, folks who talk about fighting for equity and fighting for equity and social justice, who seem unengaged at all in having this discussion. My question becomes is why is it that we don't see this level of engagement from folks who are who who say they are school reformers at the end of the day? Well, that's an interesting I I haven't you know, I work with uh, both researchers and civil rights advocates from across the nation. So, yeah, and I'm I we've been working on uh, the dropout issue for as long as we've been working on the discipline issue. Um, and I found at least among the researchers that, that I've been privileged to work with people like Bob Balfance, uh, Russell Rumberger, um, Clive Belfield, who's an economist, um, and Celia Roos, people like that. Um, I found a, a real willingness to engage in, the, in this issue because they understand the connection. Also, folks who work on issues involving uh, juvenile delinquency are, you know, um, have also been willing to, to look at this. I think where, where you see some, even the NEA and the AFT have actually um, recently been very supportive, but there was a, there was a period, I think, where people were very reluctant to um, even talk about school discipline. And I think part of it is that there is this, uh, people anchor on, on, on ideas of, of kids being violent rather than understanding that the, the vast majority of students are being suspended for minor offenses. So I think that may be having something to do with it. I think um, in, in some areas where I have seen reluctance, uh, in talking with some principals, for example, there's a heightened level of fear because of things like school shootings. Uh, so people don't want to seem like they're being soft on crime. Yeah, just like they don't want to be soft on crime, they don't want to be soft on school discipline. 
So I think that may be me may explain that phenomenon to the extent that that's what you're seeing. Yeah, it's interesting. And so, which gets to a big issue here in terms of you know how you know reforming school discipline. I mean, what do districts have to do to really get this done right? Because you know there is on the other yeah. side a legitimate concern that you know we yep. seen in Philadelphia first two years. You know what resource? What are what resources are they putting into this to make this work? And I mean, what I think needs that, to be done? You, that yeah, that's it. That's one of the big things that I've seen is that some schools will do reform light, and they'll say they're doing restorative justice, or they say they'll revise their code of conduct, yet they don't put any resources into um, the alternatives and to supporting teachers or supporting students. Oftentimes. They may be having an issue with school discipline because they're not investing in training of teachers or they don't have enough school counselors or their special education special ed, uh, education um, personnel are overworked and um, they may also have high teacher turnover. They may have ineffective school leaders and all these things are important to to um, attend to because everything has to work together to, to create a, a highly functioning school. And the, you know, school discipline is, should be part of your educational mission, not something that's just relegated to safety. But that said, I think the other thing that's really important is when school districts embark on reform, they have to be sure that everybody understands, and this goes for all those like myself who are, who are advocating for uh, changes in policies and practices and so forth, that safety is not a negotiable, that under no circumstances is anybody suggesting that it would be okay to have a chaotic environment or one that kids or parents or teachers felt um, was unsafe. So looking at things like, you know, school surveys on school climate is an important part of, of this. So invest that to do this well does re- often require uh, in investment in improving the quality of education. It oftentimes involves improving the quality of instruction, not just looking at school discipline. As I mentioned, one of the most effective um, programs uh, that you know we highlight in our book was a training for for teachers in engagement it had nothing to do with uh, in student engagement it had nothing to do with school discipline it just had the effect of dramatically reducing uh, teachers referrals of students to the office but it reduced that because they were more effective they were paying closer attention to the needs of their kids and being more responsive to them in ways that were effective for the the kids and for the students and the student engagement was being uh, pursued because of its positive impact on achievement. So I think that's the other thing is that looking at it as a connected, as a sort of a seamless web of these are, you know, how you address behaviors of kids and also of the adults in the building. Um, You know, how respectful are they of the students and of each other? Uh, how supportive of are they? How much collaboration is going on? All these things uh, matter. And, you know, the highly functioning uh, schools to transform into a highly functioning school um, often requires a lot more than just changing a few words in the code of conduct. But that doesn't mean not to do that step. 
um, that can be an important catalyst uh, for bringing about these sorts of changes. Listen to the Dropout Nation family of podcasts. Also, read Dropout Nation every day for your news and commentary on the reform of American public education. And listen up for the new Dropout Nation podcast debuting in December. This is Dropout Nation. I'm Rashawn Biddle. You have a great weekend.